When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Monday, June 3rd from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or really wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaints to 929-274-3437 or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the Warriors tie things up 1-1 in the NBA Finals. More drama with the Los Angeles Lakers and a recap of Falcon 4. Check your sources, we're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The trend continues. We've got the NBA Finals full steam ahead. People may start now paying attention to baseball, at least once the finals end. Unfortunately, the NFL will pick up steam as it always does, but we're in the heart of the NBA Finals. Game two will commence as we're speaking, and we'll get to our thoughts on how we're at, where we're at. Might even do our typical rant on the Lakers, because it seems like though there's only one series going on, they continue to be in the news as Baxter Holmes writes his hit piece on the organization and what actually happens behind the scenes. But first, some exciting news for the show. For the first time in show history... The new report, myself, and the old report, yourself, finally came together to meet, courtesy of Falcon 4, the SiriusXM Morning Men yearly event spectacular that we both attended and both enjoyed, meeting the Fals and the quote-unquote celebrities that accompany the Fals, some of the employees now that I work with, still fun to say, and it was a grand time getting to meet chat a couple stories. We didn't prep anything for this show, but it was still nice to shake hands and at least uh, put a face to the name for the new report, Old Report. Finally, a pleasure to meet my partner, the Tower of Power folks, six foot seven. All right, he is a young man indeed. As we finally met uh, at Falcon 4 yesterday afternoon in the heat of a late spring day uh, at a packed house an event that people came literally from all over the country, listeners of Morning Matt, uh, Evan Cohen, and Mike Babchek. And it was a good time had by all. They put on their normal, well, I won't call it normal. They put on a show from four to six. Uh, and finally, I got a chance to meet my partner, along with the likes of Stephen Lauren Torrey. Uh, Steve, obviously, I, I, I know him, but uh, got to meet his wife. 
Steve Cohen and Eric Spitz. The head honchos were there. Got to meet Danny Cannell. Uh, the great Brian Geltzauer was in the house. Got to meet Geltz. So we really had a great time. Everybody uh, enjoyed themselves, went out afterwards. Uh, it really was a great afternoon, early and late evening uh, in Midtown Manhattan for all of us. And now here we are after all of that in the midst of a hotly contested game two in Toronto where the Warriors are, as we speak, folks, with four and change to go after an 18-0 run to start the second half, uh, desperately clinging to a nine-point lead without Clay Thompson, who has injured his hamstring and is done for the night with input from Boogie Cousins, who is really playing an excellent all-around game. And Toronto, uh, behind their superstar, Kawhi Leonard, working to try and get themselves back into uh, the possibility of taking a 2-0 lead because they were down as much as 13 here in the third quarter. They made a little bit of a comeback in the fourth quarter. Uh, and we'll see. This has been a much different game from from game one. Not nearly as much from Siakam or Gasol and a lot more from Leonard. And he's looking for help. He's got a little bit from Ben Bleak off the bench. But there has not been a lot of help elsewhere. But last couple of trips down court, they've gotten three or four shots. And now they're looking to cut into this lead, uh, which is now nine. And uh, a jump ball coming up or potentially free throws, depending upon the call. But the point is the champs are, even though ahead, on the ropes personnel-wise. KD, obviously, not in this game. Thompson now gone. Iguodala banked up. And we will see just how much the champions uh, battle-tested can figure out a way, see if they can figure out a way to to hold off Toronto and pull this rabbit out of the hat. Shout-out to the Fals as well that might be listening this week. Our listenership, for all we know, could triple, Al, by the time this episode comes out. Not saying that those numbers are going to be anywhere near the triple digits, but hey. I would be remiss if I did not say to a member of those Fals that are listening, Thank you for all the kind words and uh, the, the kind gestures, the fact that they have listened to my calls over the years. They were very complimentary, and they were uh, the ones I spoke to were very excited to hear about the new report, old report. So you gave them the info, and hopefully uh, there will be a lot of the fouls board and listening to the program. 929-274-3437 is the number that we still use left over from the prestigious The Bridge Sports Podcast. You can leave us a voicemail with any thoughts on the NBA Finals, Falcon 4, baseball, whatever it may be, and we'll play that on air and respond to it for next week's show. You can also text that number as well if you're a little shy. I know some of the fouls don't even call into the morning men, though they follow and listen religiously. So you can do the same with our show. You don't necessarily need to reach out. We still appreciate the listenership, and we appreciate some excitement in the NBA Finals, which it appears will increase should the Warriors win Game 2. What I found interesting, and this has been a point that's been discussed already earlier in the week, but nothing that we've been able to touch on yet, was in Game 1, and to shout out Evan Cohen making a similar point to this, it seemed like the Warriors used it, and he made the comparison to what the Patriots do now in the early portion of the season, the regular season, that is, figuring out what they have. 
putting in players where they might not necessarily be comfortable, getting players along that might be injured or getting used to a new position, they don't necessarily kill themselves for the first four or five games of the season because they have enough confidence, rightfully so, in Tom Brady and co. that they'll still be able to make the postseason. They'll still be able to make their normal run in the playoffs. They use the early portion of the season very well as a gauge to what they'll have moving forward, and then they make adjustments going from there. It seemed like the Warriors used game one similarly as somewhat of a feel-out game feeling what the Raptors would do and how they would defend the Warriors, which relied heavily on double-teaming Steph Curry, worked incredibly well. And then for the Warriors' defense, who can we leave open? Who can we let, quote-unquote, beat us tonight? And that proved to be P.J. Siakam in the first game, shot lights out. Kawhi was all right, but he didn't have the woe game that we've seen so far in the postseason him have here and there. We asked ourselves, would said players that did so well in game one, Marcus Saul, Fred Van Fleet, will they be able to repeat that in game two? And as of now, it doesn't look like they'll reach that level. So in a sense, maybe Golden State is not as hurt by a game one loss as other teams might be just because of the championship pedigree they have where they can say, hey, we can afford to lose a game on the road now as long as we take one. That's when the series starts, as we always say, if you beat a team at home, here we go. So if they win game two, hey, we're on to Golden State. We'll see what happens there. Well, I look at it from this point of view when this series started. I thought for Toronto, game one was clearly the most important game of the series. I thought they had to win game one or it would be a short series. They had to continue the momentum. They had to retain home court. Even if they lost game two, they had to desperately win game one. They did that, and they did it literally with yeoman efforts, an unheard of game from Siakam, 14 for 17, and a huge game from Van Fleek off the bench, and a big game from Gasol in 20 points. And we've talked about it time and time and time again about the supporting cast. The support staff, the guys who will step up at home most of the time and help the superstar. Kawhi Leonard did not have a big offensive game, and Golden State approached him defensively from the point of view that we're going to make everybody else beat us. And two guys had big games. Golden State did not play well, regardless of the Patriots' theory. They didn't play well. They were flat. They did not move the basketball, and defensively, they were very lazy. They got beat badly in transition. Siakam had the game of his life. Draymond Green played very poorly, and as a result, uh, they were never, ever in a position to win the game. Tonight, you have not nearly as much from Siakam, uh, who has struggled to shoot the ball, very little from Casal. Van Fleek has given the same kind of punch off the bench. Uh, but other than that, it's been all winter, and that has not been enough so far since the 18-0 run, despite the fact that Golden State is struggling now down the stretch to score. They have gotten, as, as I said before, big-time minutes from DeMarcus Cousin on the glass at both ends. Uh, some good minutes from Cook, who's given them three threes. But the other thing, uh, at least to this point, with a minute and a half to go, is Toronto has had opportunities down the stretch here in the fourth quarter throughout to get back in this game and they haven't been able to put the ball in the ocean. 
They've gotten plenty of good shots, wide open looks from three and two, and they have not hit anything. So to me, I, I don't know if it's a change in strategy versus simply the inability in this game of those same players to hit shots uh, because they have not hit any of them uh, as we're down the stretch now with one and change to go still an eight point game uh, and three after three and two after two have clanged off the rim by Toronto. They've lost Kyle, uh, Kyle Lowry to fouls. So they have a chance to cut this to six with free throws coming up. But the point is they have not made the shots that they made in game one and they have had plenty of opportunities to make them and they just haven't been able to knock them down. And they've been good looks. They have plenty of them. And they have helped Golden State down the stretch here uh, to one shot. Golden State has not shot the ball well in this fourth quarter, especially late. Uh, But so far, by the skin of their teeth, they are hanging on. But Kawhi Leonard's going to the free throw line and uh, to cut in this lead a little more. But I I don't know if I necessarily disagree or agree with this notion of let's see what they've got. They played this team twice during the regular season. They lost both times. So, uh, you know, this team has beaten them and has played them very well. Tonight, they just have not been able to knock down shots in the second half. And to me, sometimes it gets pretty simple. (laughs) Who's going to shoot the ball well? And they have not done it. Uh, The guys who did it for them in game one haven't been close to doing it nearly as well. And their superstar is trying somehow, some way to carry them through. We'll have a chance to cut it to five points if he knocks us down this free throw with a minute to go. So we still got a ball game. Uh, so you never know. We will see what happens in this last minute and see if the champs can even it up. But it's been a totally different type of game in terms of the supporting cast for the respective teams. Yeah, I shouldn't say it's a huge surprise as far as the Toronto Raptors shooting goes because we see it every year and in and, and every series sometimes. Teams just go cold. You hope if you're Toronto that you can use the crowd to your advantage, the 1-0 to your advantage, and be able to hit those open shots, especially from the role players that, for whatever reason, in the NBA, they play incredibly well at home. It seems like that's the case throughout the entire league. I'm not sure why home court advantage still is such a stronghold in professional basketball, but such is life. I was surprised in a good way that the Warriors used their offense in a different manner to attack the paint, especially to start the third quarter. It wasn't Curry or Clay getting hot from three, the Splash Brothers coming back to life. It was feed down low dunk, find a layup, get in the paint. They did that perfectly, and I think that was what was really missing from game one. The double teams of Steph, sometimes they would find the open man, but more often than not, it didn't seem to be there. This game, that changed for the better. And you mentioned DeMarcus Cousins having a game that they hope he would have for them in the playoffs, and he's finally able to do so in the finals in game two. I think game one, you could expect him to be rusty, slow, not necessarily play as great as they hope he would. He's proven to be a factor in this game, and he'll need to be down the stretch with Klay Thompson out, as you mentioned. Now it's he enters into the big three and to be the important factor in this game on both ends of the floor, and he's done so. So hats off to him. 10 rebounds, 11 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists. The 10 rebounds are very big. Uh, They've been at both ends, and it's pretty much been an even rebounding battle until these last few minutes where a couple different times uh, Toronto got three and four shots. Livingston gave them his usual solid 
contribution off the bench where he just seems to be such a steadying hand. We've got very little from Iguodala again, uh, but the the championship medal is clearly being tested on the road right now with 50 seconds to go and Golden State clinging to a five-point lead as they review an out-of-bounds play. Um, Toronto's got some momentum there. The thing that you know, health plays such a role in these games and these series over time for teams that have been in the playoffs year after year after year. And uh, we always seem to harken back to the Lakers, but uh, when they were chasing the three-peat, uh, the Lakers were playing fabulous basketball way back 100 years ago in 1989, coming off the championships in 87 and 88. They had not lost in the postseason as they got ready to have the rematch against Isaiah Thomas and the bad boys. And Gary Vitti had actually said we're healthier than we have been all year long. And he barely got the words out of his mouth. And Byron Scott went down in practice and was gone for the series. And Magic Johnson went down in game one and was gone for the series. And they got swept. Well, we see that KD is gone for a chunk of these playoffs. It may not play in this series. Uh, Clay Thompson has just gone down in this game. So all the games over the years, the extra games, they have their wear and tear. And those extra games you play, those extra rounds of playoffs, going far into the postseason as far as anybody can go, which is the finals. You know, this is the fifth straight year. Uh, it wears on the body. And you play longer, harder than anybody else. And eventually... It comes a calling, and I don't want to say it's going to happen to all the Warriors, but it certainly happened to two of them uh, in KD and now Thompson, and you hope that that's not going to be a determining factor in the series because you certainly like to see if KD's not going to be back, at least the rest of the Warriors uh, be in a position to have all their weapons, with the exception of KD, uh, to, try and, uh, to try and repeat here. Well, that was the negative or the discussion entering the postseason, especially the NBA Finals. How do you beat this Warriors team? Especially when they're healthy, how do you beat this team? And the conversation, unfortunately, usually shifts to, well, if one of the guys gets hurt, that's your best shot. If two of them get hurt, now you're really talking. Well, unfortunately for the Warriors, and we obviously have no idea what will happen to Klay Thompson, whether this was just one game thing and he'll be ready for game three and some rest and whatever magician-like things they're able to do in the locker room and training room these days. Or if we're looking at a game three that won't have Kevin Durant and won't have Klay Thompson. As much as people sometimes can take Klay Thompson for granted, and deservedly so, there are games where he disappears in games where you expect him to appear or need to at least. In game one, we thought maybe he would go off for 30 considering the all-team snub, KD not being in, Cousins just getting back, Iggy going down with an injury. We've seen it before. He could easily just get a 35-point game. Wasn't in the cards. Game two is a little bit better. Obviously, the injury didn't help matters, but him being out would change things, I think, in a not necessarily great way. Because now you could put all your focus on Steph Curry, even more so than you did in game one. 
and you'll live with him passing it to an outside shooter that's not Klay Thompson. Iggy couldn't find his shot to save his life in game one. Quinn Cook is a nice shooter, but he's not somebody you can necessarily rely on. You'd play that roulette if you could. Let them throw it out to where Clay would normally be, and we'll live and die by that in game three, should that be the case. And, folks, you had to see it to believe it because a guy who hasn't been able to put the ball in the ocean all night has just, it looks like, buried the Raptors in game two. After, again, four attempts at the offensive end for the Raptors where Golden State simply could not get a rebound and Van Fleek put in a three-pointer on their fourth shot to cut it to two points with a three- or four-second differential on the shot clock and the game clock and them contemplating whether to foul on a double team for Steph Curry. Lo and behold, the ball is in Andrea Godala's hands and doesn't he knock down from the left wing a three to get the lead back up to five points and just about seal this deal. Silver Steel, excuse me, with 5.9 to go. The champs have gotten up off the mat and have just landed a haymaker. The Iggy three-pointer in the finals. Who would have saw that coming? There always seems to be one at the best time, and that couldn't have come at a better time. Left wide open on the wing. I know there's a little bit of a scramble there, but huge shot. Take everything back that I said about game one. Great shot in game two, and it's looking like, as we mentioned, we're heading to Golden State, tied 1-1. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. And thank you for all of those listening that put up with us commentating on stuff that you may have already known about. But that was a great shot, and erases what would have been a a tough-looking loss because with 4.50 or so to go, the defense for Toronto, as I read on Twitter to verify, went into sort of a box and one, and that shut down the Warriors' offense pretty much until that last shot. Unfortunately for Toronto, they don't score either until the end. So their defensive plan worked flawlessly. As we've been saying throughout this show, the big offensive plays that Toronto needed tonight weren't there. It's, it, this is a team sport. It's as simple as that. And you, know, you need support. And Leonard did everything he could down the stretch to carry them. Even he missed a, a, a number of shots. This wasn't the supreme effort by Kawhi Leonard where you know, he was a big-time shot maker knocking down threes. Uh, he did hit some terrific shots, but he missed a lot of shots. And his teammates could not make a shot. And you know, Golden State didn't make too many down the stretch either, but they had that cushion to work with. So uh, you know, they got out and, and built up built up a lead on points and hung on down the stretch uh, you know, like a heavyweight champ. But it was, uh, it was a battle. And it's great to see them tested. It wasn't pretty. But I'll take hotly contested, knockdown, drag out, sometimes ugly basketball if it's going to come down to the last few seconds and be, for lack of a better term, you know, a war of wills, which I think this was. And I'll take that any day of the week because the competitive spirit, that's what you want to say. You want to see with the championship on the line. The championship, the champions, and the challengers go at it. Not every game could be a thing of beauty, 
But if it's competitive down the stretch, that's really all you can ask for. Because when you're competing down the stretch in any sport, sometimes it's not always pretty. Sometimes it's not always poetry in motion. Sometimes it's grit. Sometimes it's heart. And the old saying about who wants it more, we know they both want it. Bounce to the ball, you know, right guy, right time, right place. Andre Agadala, good night. Incredible. And for that to be the last shot the Warriors hit in the final four minutes, what a way to go out. And some are going to argue that he shouldn't have taken that shot, dribble out the clock or try to pass it up, get fouled, go to the line. Stones on Iggy to shoot that based on what happened in game one. Completely erased from his memory. And he becomes the hero tonight. And if you're the Warriors, or the Raptors, I should say, (laughs) I mean, that hurts. That's a painful one because it was there for you to take it. And it didn't take a huge effort to take it, at least not near the end of the fourth quarter. Obviously, the Warriors making a big comeback. Couldn't make a shot. The comeback was something that they had to do after the Warriors got off to an 18-0 start in the third, but they were right there. And nobody could make it. Nobody had that big shot, that big opportunity. None of it fell tonight in front of a home crowd that is dying for them to fall. And now you got to go to Golden State? Woo! The opportunities were clearly there for them to take a stranglehold on this series, hold serve, send Golden State back home, down 2-0 with who knows whether or not the Splash Brothers would be at full strength. Uh, full strength? Seriously doubt that Clay Thompson is going to be at full strength. Uh, regardless of the lengthy rest between games, uh, he will need it. We know what hamstrings are. We know how uh, difficult they can be to recover from. We know sometimes they take longer than others, but uh, he clearly, I would be shocked if he's at 100% for game three. Uh, so who will step into the shoes of Clay Thompson, even though he, let's say he plays, but isn't permitted to run the normal type of minutes, uh, you know, because he's been an NBA Iron Man his entire career. And I would be shocked if he's ready to go 40 minutes in game three. Now, does that mean an early return for KD? The storyline continues to build uh, for, for what is, is really been, uh, despite the fact that they are in the finals for the fifth straight year, despite the fact that they're going for that fourth title in five years and three in a row, it really is becoming a soap opera with the Warriors, even though they don't have any kind of internal issues where you would normally see a soap opera scenario, you know, where there's infighting with players, coach, strife, none of that. It's just a question of who are we going to be able to roll out there? Uh, so now it really becomes intriguing. They're helped by the fact that quietly the second team for Golden State has played very well for how you would imagine a second team for Golden State would play like with four All-Stars in the starting lineup if you add Cousins, five. You would just think there's not enough money to go around. There can't be out that much talent to go around, but they've proven to be a pretty solid group that they can throw out there. I mean, in game one in the third quarter, they cut the game to within three. It was right there before Toronto made a small little run to push their lead back up. If you're saying, though, Clay Thompson is out and Kevin Durant can't push that button to 
insert himself for Clay, which would be prayers answered for Warriors fans, I don't know if he'd be able to do that and be at full strength that quick. I think he might need a DeMarcus Cousins game just to get a feel back on the court and find his shot again in, in that high intensity of a game facing everything Toronto will throw at him, which they most likely would. We might be looking at, can Steph do what someone once did to him after they were up 3-1 in a series? Is he going to have to pull a LeBron James 50? LeBron James, take the games, three wins, all basically because of what he was able to do those nights. With Kyrie Irving as well. We forget about Kyrie. But is that what we're going to need from Steph? Is he just going to have to completely carry the Warriors until they can get one of the two back at least? Maybe. I, I would think that's, that's the only logical answer we can have, or one of them, is that it'll be all on Steph if Clay Thompson can't go and Kevin Durant can't go in game three. And, and lo and behold... How much more can we expect from Boogie Cousins in terms of minutes? Because let's remember, he's played very little. He's coming off the injury. Is he 100%? Is he 95%? That's a lot of weight on that calf. How many minutes can you depend upon or get from him? Because he does pose matchup problems. Uh, because he can post up, kick out, the ball comes back in. He's a tremendous passer. Uh, he gets guys on his back. He can find the open man off the double team when they try, if they want to double team and double, which they probably won't. But the point is that the ball goes out, then it comes back to him. He's an excellent finisher uh, because of his touch and his size. And they really don't have, uh, despite Gasol's size, I really don't think they have anybody to match up with him because he's actually catching the ball out at the three-point line and went to the rack a couple different times and showed how nimble he can be, even though I don't think he's 100%, where he actually was able to go to the basket from the three-point line, avoid a charge, and lay it in because of his footwork, uh, how nimble he is, and his ability to handle the ball uh, you know, in traffic and also find people off of that when the, when the help comes. So his skill set is very very unique in this day and age for a guy his size where he's really not at this stage right now a stretch the defense three-point shooter I think more so because of his lack of playing time where normally he would be doing that more so I don't see him pulling the trigger nearly as much and down the stretch he also looked I thought very tired uh, which is to be expected because he played a lot of minutes tonight these were high pressure minutes and there was, and Bogut also gave them some some good time in terms of strength in the post, shot blocking, rebounding, which they desperately needed. Um, so now Boogie Cousins goes from a guy who I talked about Steve Kerr's most difficult job was going to be managing his minutes so it doesn't cause a problem. Now his new job may be managing his minutes to get the most out of him in terms of extended minutes. Versus, I want to limit him so it doesn't cause a problem with him bringing back. Now we got him back. We, how do I maximize his minutes? So it really is, is. This has really been an as the world turns series in only three games, 
with a whole lot more to go depending upon the health of two warriors. And quietly, still slithering in the weeds, ready to pounce at a moment's notice, Draymond Green. Still not Lurking. somebody that we talk about. Lurking. Another great game tonight. Another almost triple-double. Somebody that could help carry that weight in game three. Now, let's not expect him to maybe go out and score 40, considering I think his career high is like high 30s at best. Not that that's a bad thing. You're not going to get a 40-20-10 game from Draymond, but high 20s, again, mid-17 or 18 rebounds, do your thing with assists, be a playmaker in whatever way you can, whether that's on defense and on offense. And if there's somebody that's up for that challenge who has proven it time and again in finals games, Draymond Green is up for that challenge. He did a much better job tonight defensively. He was much more active offensively. Both ends of the floor on the glass, pushing, pushing, pushing the basketball to make them defend for 94 feet. Great job on the glass, running the court on break, and literally taking the ball at times the length of the court and looking to push the action and advance the basketball either with the dribble or with the pass, and then not going silent, then cutting the basket uh, and making them defend the cuts, which they did not do well. And you saw a lot of Draymond Brock buckets off of cuts when he gave the ball up, then went to the basket, and Toronto just fell asleep on him defensively. Um, and he was there with big buckets at big spots early in the game, when they were struggling, uh, knocking down his free throws to keep them in the game early in the first quarter uh, when they couldn't make a shot uh, except for Clay Thompson. And then defensively and on the glass in the second half and uh, you know inside. Uh, basically, uh, a, a little of whatever you need at the time, I'm here to give that particular thing. And that's what is makes him such an effective player you know, at championship time, at crunch time. Uh, he's not pulling the trigger on the three-point shot. You see many times in this game, especially down the stretch, he had open threes, and he waited for the defense to eventually come to him and draw. Not that they went to him uh, with an overplay uh, and resulted in, in the, the ball going elsewhere for wide open looks, but he did pull the trigger on the three-point shot down the stretch. Um, he wasn't ready to do that yet. Uh, his shot has not been nearly as good as it's been in the past better it was earlier in the season but still he has been finding the open man and being very patient offensively and he's been the smart Draymond he's been the Draymond that hasn't gotten any issues with the officials no ticky tack crap uh nothing to take he's been very focused he had a bad game one he took it all upon himself and said it's all on me I was awful I got to do a better job he literally said I got to shut him down in game two and Compared to what Siakam got in game one, he did shut him down in game two. You know, he went from 34 to teens and shooting 14 to 17 for 17 in game one to about 25% tonight. So, uh, you know, he, 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 he talked to talk and he walked the walk indeed in game two. If you're Toronto, as we mentioned, heartbreaking loss for your team and obviously as well for your fan base that has been Absolutely incredible this entire postseason, even more so in the finals. 
now going to Golden State, but having an opportunity to, like in game one, maybe catch the Warriors off guard or undermanned or however you want to look at it and steal game three if they're a man down in Klay Thompson, if they're a man down in KD, maybe Looney, who else, as we mentioned, we don't even know who, who they're going to roll out with the ball come the start of game three and how many minutes guys like Iggy and DeMarcus Cousins can play. If you're a healthy Raptors squad, now's your opportunity to take advantage of being banged up in game three coming from Golden State. I don't necessarily it's, know if you have to go back to the drawing board, but you have, to, you have to play better. I don't expect Siakam to score 37 points, as we were talking about, but just scoring 12, not going to cut it. Gasol just hitting six. Unfortunately for them, not going to cut it. Lowry not even be able to be at near the end of the game because fouls and not really doing too much offensively again. You just have to be a little bit better across the board and you need the production from the guys that have given it to, to you throughout this entire season. You can't have an okay game. You have to have a pretty good to above average game, I think, at least for their big four guys. Sometimes it gets pretty simple. Quinn Cook knocks down three huge threes. Iguodala can't put the ball in the ocean the entire game. He knocks down the dagger. Uh, Who who makes the open shots? They both have them. Both teams have them. And Toronto simply didn't make But again, it's a series. It's not one game. It only comes down to one game when you're in the seventh game. This is only game two. You know, Toronto has bounced back these entire playoffs. They have a great deal of experience. They have a finals MVP who is their best player. They will go and they will be ready to roll uh, you know, in game three. I'm over. You know, Toronto is the team with home court. All they have to do to get home court back is get a split. The same way Golden State got the split here. Well, now it's time to go there and win one. And they've already they've already won there this season. They they were three and zero against going you know, against the champs, you know, going into tonight, two in the regular season and the first game of this series. So there's no way Toronto goes to the Warriors home court not thinking good about themselves in my mind because they almost pulled this game out, uh, and. I think they should feel pretty good about themselves because, you know, you look at the box and say, man, this guy played awful, that guy played awful, we're still right there. And that's the, the positive spin you put on it. Um, they have to do a little better job in some spots, uh, you know, defensively. But, again, it was really about just them not making shots uh, at a number of them from all different spots on the floor. Corner threes, wing threes, threes from the top, runners, 15-footers, 13-footers, Stuff in the lane. The opportunities were there. They could, they could not make a shot in the fourth quarter. You know, the only shots they made were, you know, a very tough, you know, Kawhi three-pointer where he barreled over Green and, and, and Bogut hit him, uh, and you know, a couple of threes off of two or three of their own misses, uh, which finally they got one to go down. So I, I think this was a war of attrition kind of game, and it came down to was going to make the big shot at the time when nobody could make a shot. Uh, you know, Iguodala was the guy who knocked it down. So I, I think that Toronto should still feel good about where they are because they're healthy. Uh, they're strong. 
their main guy off the bench, Van Vliet, continues to play well, continues to shoot it well. Down the stretch tonight, he did not. He did the entire game before the stretch. So I still think that they're in really good position, especially when you're looking at the, the health factor here, which is now really taking a terrible turn uh, for the Warriors. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Well, it wouldn't be the new report, old report if we didn't bring up the franchise that we are both fans of in the Los Angeles Lakers. We don't have to spend as much time on this because we've spent shows on our favorite team based on what's happened in the past month or two or so. And another, yet another, <laughs> article comes out by Baxter Holmes. A 30-minute read. Al, I don't know if you found the time to piece through everything or just listen to Magic Johnson respond to said piece because, of course, he was on ESPN that same night to do an NBA roundtable about the NBA playoffs and, of course, hit on such comments that were made on his behalf. I guess there's only one main question from it. Well, there are several, but one main question we at least can focus on. Can Rob Polinka stay GM of the Lakers? Or was what we heard so egregious and wrongful and shocking that Jeannie Buss needs to make the decision to say, we can have this, he's gone? Or does it not matter? <laughs> Do they just continue to move forward and stick with whatever plan they have the idea for for 2019-2020. To me, this is all about Jeannie Buss. This, this is about the owner of the team and what does she want to do? What kind of ship does she want to run here? And who does she want to run it? Because you know, the, the most productive thing uh, that I could think of with respect to that article is to print it out, uh, fold it up, and when I finish uh, the stack uh, or unable to get to the store to get the pee pads for my little Bobo uh, when I leave by himself and he has to go to the bathroom and say, I can use that article for my dog to pee on because that's about what that article was worth. It told us nothing. Uh, it was just a pile of unsubstantiated, disgruntled employees, former employees, unnamed sources. I've got to listen to someone tell a story that Magic Johnson threatened an employee that if she doesn't do a better job or if she screws up again, she's going to be fired. So that sent her into therapy. I mean, you've got to be bagging. That's what we're writing about? That she went into therapy over that? I mean, I, I know I'm the old report, but that's what human resources are. You can't threaten someone's job if they don't do a better job you know, the next time around. They screw up again. I got a thousand resumes up there. You know, people who want these jobs if we're not successful. So calling people on the carpet, saying that if we're not productive and we don't get better, heads are going to roll. What, where, where's the problem here? Where's the problem? Oh, he's asked the question, what was it really? Well, when Magic Johnson was, was hired, uh, someone said to me, the building could burn down before Magic Johnson loses his job. Well, wrong. Wrong. Magic Johnson's not there anymore. The building's still there. So that's how wrong that was. You know, 
Magic Johnson left. Magic Johnson, maybe, just maybe, is a lot smarter than we all think. And maybe John, maybe Magic Johnson saw what this was all about and said, let me get out of the burning building. Let me run from the burning building right, before it, it burns down around me. Because this has become a very dysfunctional scenario. We don't know who's running the show behind the scenes because we hear it's Rob Polenka. And if that's if that's the deal, so be it. You know, but how is a guy in sales telling Magic Johnson not to follow the coach? You know, when did Tim Harris become an important consultant to tell Magic Johnson whether or not he should keep his coach when he wanted to fire? How is Linda Rambis, lifelong friend and you know, person in sales department, now involved in personnel decisions, you know, at, at the side of Jeannie Buss? Where did this come from? How did this happen? How did we get here from Magic and Polinka together running the show and doing some really good things, creating cap space, right? making moves that allowed them to bring in LeBron, drafting good young players, sending the buffoon number two pick from Ohio State to the Nets for the pick that turned out to be Kyle Kuzma. Right. Because as good as a player as he may be, he's still getting caught in airports with reefer. We all know his name. I'm not even going to mention it because I'm so disgusted by how moronic a guy like that could, especially after having such a terrific season. Um, and that, that got you, Kyle Kuzma. So you brought in one-year players to result in more cap space. And remember, this team was in fourth place in the West before it all fell apart, before the injury struck, and then the horror show of the potential Anthony Davis fiasco, trade, nightmare, potentially engineered by Clutch Sports uh, and, and LeBron's supporters, employees, whatever you want to term them, team. The point is it all fell apart when it was going incredibly well. Then the Zubac trade, which was really the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of personnel decisions. Really the only real bad one they made in my mind. And as a result, it just was the snowball going downhill. And then came all the scenario of who's in charge, who's not in charge, the backstabbing, and you know, Magic leaving the way he left. I have no problem with Magic leaving. I have a problem doing it the way he did it. I understand it was not the way you do it. Uh, I understand his explanation. Whether or not it holds water, believe what you want to believe. The point is, if it's going to be Rob Polinka, then let him go make the decisions. Then let him make the hiring, let him make the firing. Let him with the proper personnel. The point is, do we know the proper personnel is in place? None of us think the proper personnel is in place to make the decisions in terms of who are they going to seek in free agency? What are they going to do in terms of the trade market? Are they going to keep the fourth pick? Are they going to market it? I don't know what kind of respect Rob Polinka has around the league. You hear about the fact that other agents don't like him because, look, agents usually don't like each other. It's a competitive business. Do front offices trust him? I don't know. LeBron James trusted him. Kobe Bryant trusted him. So, as Laker fans, do we trust him? You tell me. You trust him? If he's the one making the decisions. Do you trust Rob Polinka to make the decisions as the main man in the Laker hierarchy because they're not replacing Magic Johnson's role. They're not putting someone in Magic Johnson's role. That is no longer a position. Rob Polinka is supposedly in charge. Well, one, do you think he's really in charge? 
and two as a Laker fan, are you confident in him to make the decisions to get this team, I'm not going to say back to glory, but back moving in the right direction with the personnel they have now, the cap space they have, and the fourth pick in the draft? I'd lean toward no more than I would yes, which is unfortunate. And I think that's also the worst part of this article is everything that you just posed in the last couple minutes, we don't have any answers to after the inclusive research that was done, the 30 or plus anonymous sources that were put into this piece. Which mean nothing to me. Oh, of course. nothing to me. In-depth conversations, the length, 30-minute read. I mean, that's... That's most of my train right now. I got to read about this team. But there was nothing in there that would give you a huge boost of positivity as to the future of the team. There are some things that he ends up getting caught in a lie about that are just like so small and minute and stupid. It's like, why even lie about that in the first place? The biggest one becoming the story of him telling the tale of Kobe Bryant wanting to get dinner with Heath Ledger and him being the one that organized it after Kobe saw the movie The Dark Knight. The unfortunate part for that is, unfortunately, Mr. Ledger was dead six months before the movie came out. But again, we still don't know that if Kobe Bryant saw a trailer or saw an advanced version. True. He is Kobe Bryant. He is in Los Angeles. He could have well seen that head dinner with before he died. Right. Or for a different movie. we We don't even know that if that's false. But that's it's, why so much of this article was bad blood, strong employees, probably some of uh, Coach Walton's former staffers. You know, I, I mean, it, oh, oh, well, Rob Blink and Magic Johnson got in a room with their scouts, and then they went and made the decision. Who's supposed to make the decision? Who's supposed to make the decision around drafting players or free agents? Rob Blink and Magic Johnson were scouts. Of course, they're supposed to go make the decision. They're the hierarchy. The scouts don't make the picks. They give you the input. You're not a decision maker. You're a scout. No disrespect. They work hard. They do wonderful work. Their job is they, – it's a labor of love. They're basketball addicts. Their job is to give opinions, give information, not make decisions. And I'm reading in the article that they're castigating Magic Johnson Rob Blake because they're the ones that made it. They're supposed to make the decisions. As a Laker fan, a Laker fan. I thought this article was a crock crap. I thought it was a grasp at the brass ring for a guy who's looking to make a name for himself and do a hatchet job on a squad that's got plenty of hatchet jobs already written about. And this was going to be the coup de grace. Well, if I don't see one name in there, one name in bad things about the Lakers, you know, not one name I not 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 just one name I know, one name. Articles written from information allegedly of unnamed sources mean absolutely zero to me. Well, you know what this reminded me of, too, Al? The hit piece that came out for the Patriots when Jimmy G left for the 49ers and that there was drama and tension between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and the dynasty was over, and then they went out and won a Super Bowl. Then they went out and won a Super Bowl. (laughs) That really showed. Let's, uh, let's hope the same luck befalls the Lakers uh, within, say, the next three years. Real quick, getting to pucks, because I'm sure you're excited about where we are in the Stanley Cup. 2-1 Bruins, who stole one in St. Louis. Who you got? 
Is the series? I don't know when I'm they even play. So is the series over by next week? Who knows? Incredibly disappointed. I picked the Blues in six. I thought when they got the split in Boston, going home to St. Louis, they were in great shape. And then they came out and laid an absolute egg in game three at home. They still have not won a Stanley Cup final game in St. Louis uh, in their four trips to the finals. They won their first game in Stanley Cup final history in game two in Boston. I thought that would be a huge factor in going home. Home crowd chance to go up 2-1, Bruins banged up, and they just got their heads handed to him. Never a hockey game. It was over before he looked up. Their goalie was out. He gave up two very soft goals, but they played incredibly poorly in front of him, and he did nothing to help. Um, so now, home ice is back in Boston's hands, and the Blues are basically playing for their life. You know, down 2-1 at home in dire need of game four. I'm still rooting for the Blues, but man, oh man, if they don't win game four, I would think they're done. 2-1 Bruins, 1-1 tie in the NBA Finals. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll talk more about both those things and whatever else we have going on in the world of sports next week. Folks, for all the fouls out there who I met at Falcon 4, it was great meeting you. For those who I saw again, it was great seeing you again. Again, thanks for all the great compliments. We hope you're going to be listening to John Tiny Lunt and yours truly, Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. On New Report, that's him. Old Report, that's me. Talk to you next week, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.